This is a Strips Trust podcast. All news and all views expressed in the podcast are those of the contributors, not necessarily those of Morecambe Football Club. Right, welcome along. This is Shrimpnet, episode 10. How did we get to 10 so quickly? Um, here we are. We've just beaten Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, we've got a, um, a break because we've got players who are playing international football at Morecambe Football Club. This is amazing. So we need to talk about that, obviously. And tonight, as usual, I've got the main man from the Shrimps Trust. Uh, he needs no introduction, but I'll give him one. Um, it's uh, General Miss, Generalissimo. Uh, the wonderful Joel Shooter. Welcome, Joel. Thank you, Freeze. Uh, also, we always like to get an angle from the boardroom. And who better than the charming and erudite Charlie Appleyard. Thanks for joining us, Charlie. Hello, Freeze. And uh, a special guest tonight. Um, he's got a lot to live up to because Dermot O'Carroll was on a couple of weeks ago and performed admirably. Uh, I'm glad to say that we've got the gaff of the main man himself, Stephen Robertson. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. No problem. I've actually got Dermot texting me there as well. <laughs> I, I heard that go off. He must have done well in this programme. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Joel, I'll start with you. Um, the biggest crowd we've ever had at the Mazuma. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday, the visitors. Uh, a 1-0 win and uh, didn't, didn't look possible in the first half. But I'll come to, I've got a couple of questions for Stephen about that. Didn't look possible in the first half. Second half, um, a few changes, and suddenly we looked, we were competing. And um, I, I couldn't believe it when it went in. It was, it was an OG. And, uh, but you take them, don't you? So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's an own goal, but it was a good delivery. I think Delaney was sneaking in behind the fella as well, so he probably would have had it if, if it hadn't been an own goal. But yeah, I think that little, that little switch up, which I'm sure obviously Stephen can uh, explain a bit better than I can, uh, uh, that obviously kind of played the game in our favour. I think we kind of, uh, it, it took them by surprise and I think it helped solidify us at the back a little bit as well. But yeah, while Sheffield Wednesday obviously had a lot of the game, I felt they didn't, I, Jockel Anderson made some really good cross catches and was dominant in that kind of way, but he didn't have a great deal of shot stopping to do, which I think was a positive and showed that we did kind of defend quite well. But yeah, it was it was a brilliant kind of win to get against, you know, such a you know let, let, uh, the, the the term big side gets thrown around a lot, but let's be honest, Sheffield Wednesday are a big side in this division. So uh, you know we show we can compete with them. We've got the win over them. It was a brilliant atmosphere. So yeah, just an all round brilliant day. And I come to you, Charlie. Charlie, you were saying you were you were you felt quite relaxed right with the way through the game. Yeah, I mean, I thought um, it was strange. I just thought I, I never. I probably felt less nervous um, watching this with play Sheffield Wednesday. I did it playing. Colchester, Colchester at home last year when we were, you know, on top of it a lot more. Felt um, Stephen's uh, chain, tactical chamber really well, and he obviously can talk about it. Or was it Dermot? Dermot's idea or Stephen? I'm not sure. <laughs> Dermot taking the credit for that, is he? <laughs> so I'll come to you now, Stephen. Um, obviously, the first half, um, they have a couple of central midfielders. Uh, Barry Bannon, ex-Scottish international, still got it definitely at this level. I'm surprised he stayed, but he has. Um, and he was running the game. 
Um, and I, I read somewhere that you're not really a shouter in the dressing room, but that may, that may well have changed at half-time. I'm not sure who told you that. I think some of my former players at Motherwell might disagree with that. Um, no, I've, I think I've matured a little bit as a manager, but, and, and it is all a little bit of an act at times, but I thought it was as poor as we were in the first half, if I'm being totally honest, all season. We, um, we didn't pass the ball, we didn't retain possession, but the bigger thing for me was the distance between the lines, between our forwards, our midfielders, and especially the gaps in, in front of our back four. Um, we, weren't, you know, we weren't pressing together as a team, and when you're playing a good team like Sheffield Wednesday, which you point out, and you've got players like Barry Bannon running the show, and he had too much time in the ball, and you give good players time in the ball. So they got a little reminder at half-time of, of what we were about. Um, and to be honest with you, I wanted to make the change at half-time, but we only had one option on the bench, one forward option on the bench because of our, our injuries to forward players. So if I'd have taken Courtney off at half-time and we went 1-0 down, there wasn't a whole lot to change it with. So I persevered for another 10 minutes um, and I did still felt the same. We weren't pressing. Um, we were, the pitch was too big. My philosophy is you can't press in three-thirds of the pitch, the full pitch. You have to reduce the pitch into thirds. And, you know, we dropped at the D of the halfway line and we condensed the pitch from the D back and it makes the distances more attainable in terms of your press. It makes you know, it makes units closer together. So the distance that you have to press is five yards instead of 15. And that suddenly changed the, the whole game. You know, they weren't playing throughs. They were having to play around us and they reduced the longer balls into the box, uh, of which they stopped doing in the end because that was, was our strength. So, you know, it was, it was something that we felt we needed to do at halftime, but probably personnel dictated that it was a little bit too early. But uh, I don't mind a halftime substitution. We know to make three at a time, but... We're still getting everyone up the the full fitness, so I'm a wee bit cautious with them at the moment. I, I was actually, and I know people people were quite surprised taking off uh, taking off Courtney, uh, but you put Arthur up front and it and it works perfectly. But you, you're definitely right that 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 sort of like back three and then the five in midfield certainly they just they just in the end they did not stop knocking crosses in, didn't they? In the end, so you must have been quite pleased the way they, you saw the game develop because when we scored. I mean, all right, it was an old goal, but when we scored the goal, they didn't really offer us that much of a threat. You know, I thought when we went, we went to a back three, um, what the back three allows you to do is to press everything in front of you. When it's a back four, people can get in between the lines and, and cause you real problems. But, it, you know, I take the, it gives a bit of freedom to the three centre-halves, press everything in a straight line in front of you. And, you know, the space is reduced um, down the sides of us as well. So... I felt very comfortable when we went to three at the back. It's it's not always the right thing to do. It can be seen as a negative change. But, you know, with the wing-backs that we have in Greg Lee and Ryan Cooney on the day, and then Adam Phillips's introduction I thought was vital as well because yeah. he did give us a lot, a, a lot more quality. And actually, when we went to that, we created more chances and probably could have had, you know, Cole two or three great chances after that, Arthur had a half chance. We actually created more chances like that. So yeah. it's a system of... I float between three five two and and four three three, which is my favourite. But that just depends on personnel and, and who's playing well, and and obviously what the opposition is doing to affect you for and against. So you got to make those decisions as the game's going on. So what was the reaction from the uh, the Sheffield Wednesday dressing room afterwards? Were they complimentary or, or were they a bit disappointed? Yeah, I have to say, you know, they were they were fantastic. Um, there's, there's, there's fairly respectful people in football and there's some that don't take the feet very well, but Darren Moore and his staff 
were absolutely fantastic and absolute gentlemen Darren is and you know he's he's done very very well he's put a very good squad together you know we can't deny that it was probably the first team that when we pressed they beat our press nobody else has done that against us I include no. and that I include Preston and that and Blackburn they were the first team I thought made us look like we were spread out too much so that's compliment to them and their their staff again were very very complimentary and their players of how organised we were and, and how disciplined we were. So moving on, um, no game this week. Obviously, the crew game postponed because, uh, as I said right at the start, the amazing thing is obviously we've got three play three players uh, on international duty, which is a very rare thing for a, a Morecambe football club. Um, obviously, Alfie McCalmont's now been promoted to the actual full Northern Ireland squad. Uh, Yokel's gone with Iceland under-21s and Josh McPake with Scotland under-21s. Um, <laughs> Joel... What what are your thoughts on this? Because it was like I could never imagine sort of even ten years ago having a game postponed with three people in the under twenty ones. Never mind full internationals. No, it is quite surreal. You know, we I think we've had one maybe before with uh, Dagenham and Redbridge maybe getting postponed, but yeah. you know that was them getting uh, for the, uh, their players who were off. But yeah, it's just quite surreal it happening. Uh, it's nice to have a little bit of a break. I thought Cole Stockton looked quite tired at the end of. Uh, at the end of that Sheffield Wednesday game, so it's good to kind of you know take stock and obviously I think like Stephen's alluded to previously, you know, with the how quickly the games are coming, having that extra bit of time in the training pitch, you know, it, it'll be something that hopefully can only benefit the players and hopefully the the, the lads who are going up you know abroad for their for their international teams, you know, they can come back with a bit of confidence and you know feel up for doing a good job for us still. So, Charlie, uh, Charlie, you've got a free weekend. Are you playing golf or are you going to watch some other football? Um, I'm, I'm trying to get on the golf course, I'm, 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 uh, but uh, I probably won't be allowed. But uh, it's just been a good time to have a break, really. You know, we've, we've had um, seven games, had a really good introduction. Stephen can, can find somewhere to live. Uh, you know, everyone's... Uh, everyone's uh, you know, people, they've all been working so hard at the club. I mean, the biggest news is not is not is not the uh, the amazing performance in League One. It's the fact we actually sell chips at the ground. <laughs> it's that's the biggest. That's the biggest achievement of the club so far. I'd like to think. Um, yeah, you know, so Ben and the guys in the club have, have been analysing what they can do better. What the, the provide you know the the, uh, the service we provide, the match day experience. Just gives everyone a little bit of a break to just to just have us take stock and reflect. I think I think it's good we got a win, but obviously everyone's on a high, and uh, obviously we'll, that'll take us through the two weeks. But I think it's a nice time to take a break for no, not, not it's not a break for everyone. But it's a good time to relax a little bit and you know to spend time with families and uh, and uh, get back to it in the next few days. So you've had a little practice game this afternoon, Stephen, haven't you? Yeah, we. I mean, you, you've all alluded to it. It's the, the schedule's crazy in England. You know, sometimes you you wonder why they cram all these games in because you don't get loads of time to coach, which is why pre-season is paramount that you get your squad together early. And you know, obviously, I inherited, inherited a, a squad with three signed players, and you had the boys that got promoted that obviously want more money. There's a lot of negotiating going on there, and you're trying to build a whole new squad. So it was so important I built it quickly that we were able to have the five weeks preparation because 
the reality is you you know you play on a, a Saturday. We give the boys off on a Sunday. I'm a big believer in you know clearing your mind and, and coming back with non-emotional decisions and, and non-emotional comments. And and then you retain people, you don't lose them. But you only really have Monday then, which you know is a hard day to work because they're still 48 hours after the game. And you know Thursday's probably your only real working day after a Tuesday game that you can re reset them again, put new tactics into them. So really difficult um, and, and that's the, the biggest difference between Scottish and English football for me is the coaching time, the, the actual quality time you have on the pitch. So we have to do things a little bit differently, how the learning processes, a lot of it can be visually. Harry, our analyst, has been, has been top class in terms of the individual stuff and the, how we break down each individual unit, set of units to, to give them feedback as well as the pitch work which is a little bit not as intense as I want them to be because you can't, you know, you simply do not have the time and, and you know, the, the ability to do that. So we've, we've had to do things slightly differently. So to get this break is, is great. And, and what we've done, we, we needed a game for the boys that haven't played. So we played Blackburn's under 23s today at their training ground, magnificent facilities. Um, we drew two all. They had some very, very good young players, but it allowed me to get people like Jacob Mensah, you know, Scott Wooten, Aaron Wildig, game time, you know, and Josh Pick, Wes McDonald, Freddie Price, uh, those boys, Callum Jones, it needed just a little bit more game time. Dip the young boys like Connor Pye and, and boys like Cameron Bruni into that setup as well to, you know, allow them to get a feel for the first team. So vital. Um, and then I'll give them the weekend off and, and we'll reset again. So it's it's come at the right time. We've been so unfortunate with injuries. I mean, we've We've got two of our, our main centre forwards out with ridiculous injuries that are so uncommon you wouldn't believe. And then Shayon Harrison, who we brought in as a as a replacement, he's broke his toe. So you go, you know, they're you're not in control of these injuries. They're not muscle injuries. They're not, you know, calves and groins and things that are from overtraining. They're just unfortunate. So we wanted the break, um, A, to reset, you know, for an example of, of what we do now. You know, so Harry will go and he'll look at everything we've done well, and everything we've done poorly or where we are in, in terms of other teams in the league and the one thing I noticed was we don't put enough crosses into the box you know and certain aspects of that we need to put more crosses into the box we need to win more first contacts from set play so you know that's something that we'll show to the boys Monday morning and it gives us a real target going forward yes we've done well we break everything down into five game blocks so we we work on nine blocks of five um the fine lines and parameters between staying up you need six points Every, every five games. You need seven to finish mid-table and you need eight for the playoffs based on the last five years. So the fine lines between success and failure in football are, are absolutely massive. So there's a, an approach to it where we don't get too up with winning and too down with losing. You can always catch up, but you can also fall back down when you get too carried away with yourself. So we try and keep steady and, and try and base it on scientific facts and, and not emotional decisions. I think that's a fantastic way of looking at it. And I think the fans... Well, I'm a fan before, but you know, as fans, we should probably take that as well and go with your judgment. There, you know, judge five blocks, five blocks, blocks of five blocks of five. Not, you know, if we win, if we beat, if we win the odd game, then great. But if we if rack up the points across the season, you know, we'll we'll, we'll do well. And it's amazing between six and seven, what, what the what the what the position would be, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's it's you. I used to have this conversation with the, the Motherwell chairman, and he used to say to me, no, 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 I'm not here to be Reisnall. When the game's on, I don't want to be Reisnall. I want us to win every game and win 10-0, and he was a brilliant guy, and he said, I'm a fan for 90 minutes. I'll be Reisnall after the game, so... But I, I tried to educate him on the, the five-game blocks. But listen, fans are there to be excited. They've waited a, a long time to get to this level. Been through a lot of bad times. You know, you mentioned coming out with 190 fans. And, you know, they deserve this. When you hear the atmosphere of Sheffield Wednesday, Preston, you know, Preston was fantastic as well. And we were so unlucky. I actually thought we were excellent against Preston. But the style of football we're trying to implement, you're going to make mistakes. You, you know, boys will be brave on the ball. And we've lost goals from overplaying. But as a young squad of boys, if you know the manager and myself and Dermot are shouting at them all the time for giving the ball away, then they'll, they'll lose that confidence, they'll lose the bravery. And I think the fans getting behind people and you know, Toombs went for a dribble in his own box. I think it was against Preston and I heard some girls yeah. screaming. screaming. Um, we, we played it back to show the boys. But, you know, it's, it's exciting. And that's what fans want to come and be entertained. And their results are results. Sometimes you're not in control of decisions and injuries. But, you know, if the level of performance stays where it is um, and keeps improving, then, you know, I'll, I'll be more than happy with that. I, I have to say, that Toombs dribble right in front of me, in, the, in front of the home stand, was worth the entrance fee alone. That was absolute genius. Because I, I was on me, I was like, what's he doing? What's he doing? Oh, brilliant. Uh, he he just, was never going to lose the ball. No, he wasn't. <laughs> he certainly right. wasn't going to panic anyway, I know that. But he's been, yeah. Toombs has been absolutely terrific for us. He... Um, I don't think people realise how young we are. You know, with we had Sam, obviously, when he was 23. You'd, you'd, you've got Brian Cooney, 20. You've got um, Delaney's young boy as well, Greg Lee. And then in midfield, you've got Alfie McCallum and Callum Jones, Adam Phillips. They're all young boys. Shea McLaughlin's 23, 24. And then, you know, up front, we've, we've got young boys as well, 23 and 24. Josh, 19. So it's a real young squad that are learning and getting better. And they're, they're, they have ups and downs. And, Emotional roller coaster, you know, when they, they give a ball away, they want to, they think their career's over. Um, and then you've got the common influence of Big Toombs, who has been an absolute pleasure to work with. And, you know, he's he's been fantastic for me since I came in the door. So moving on, obviously we've lost a couple of people just in the transfer window there. Uh, Kelvin moved on, uh, presumably, correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, you know, presumably because <laughs> he wanted to get regular football. Uh, and he was obviously falling down the pecking order behind Ryan, which... Uh, I can kind of understand. Uh, and then obviously Sam not signing a contract uh, and uh, there were lots of rumours about Wickham, et cetera, et cetera. But he's, he's gone to a, 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 a what we would class as a big club in Charlton and I, we wish him well. He's been brilliant for us. He's had four seasons where he came, he came after being released from Bolton. Uh, Jim Bentley took a chance on him and he's, he's paid it back in spades. But it, it, from that point of view, I know you've touched on when you started, Stephen, that you said, you know, what you did at Motherwell was bring people in and, and they were young lads and you, you made them better players and then we're, we're happy that they could make a better career for themselves with, with bigger clubs. And that's kind of what's happened with, with Sam, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, football's a hard industry because it doesn't make my job any easier because you're, you're producing players and selling them. And listen, there's a lot of other people other than myself that played a part in, I, I played a tiny part in this season of, of helping Sam along his way. But, you know, Sam made it very clear he wasn't going to, sign a contract. We offered him a, a fantastic contract, two-year deal. I made it very clear, you know, we wanted him to stay and I probably talked him, Wickham made offers, but it wasn't what we wanted and, you know, the board were fantastic. They backed what we said. We all were in agreement that there was a certain price where, as a manager, it becomes hard to justify 
him not going, well, especially when he's made it clear that he wasn't going to sign a contract, which again is his right. I don't take that personal. You know, we you know, boys are ambitious. We can never change people's life money-wise. We can give them a platform. It's a it's a fantastic platform with good good people. I'd like to think that people think that they've improved when they work under the the coaching staff. You know, we mentioned Dermot, John, and, and Barry, and the you know and Chris Squirrel, all the all the people involved in in Sam's development. Um, but it's you know. Sam had that opportunity um, to play, as you say, a perceived bigger club, which Charlton are. And it's hard to deny that. You know, in, in terms of business, we got a fantastic deal. I think it'd be unfair for me to discuss figures um, yeah. on Charlton. But let's say for a boy that was out of contract, it's now seven months out of contract. It was a brilliant bit of business by the board. Um, yeah. you know, and for someone that was going to walk away for nothing, and, and Sam made that clear, that's what would happen. Um, but I never had a problem with him from the day he came in. You know, he listens to me. I give him advice on, in terms of some of the clubs that approached us. Um, and he, he's been very, very good. And for me, he's improved no end. You know, I don't think last season you've seen Sam playing out from the back. You know, so maybe he's added a few more strings to his bow. And, and perhaps to our detriment caught other people's attention. But this is the, the nature of, of football when you're with a, a club that has to sell. You know, we, we are a club that has to sell Motherwell were exactly the same. And it's tough because you build and you think, no, I want Sam to stay. You know, we, we want them. But I sort of preempted it. We brought players in in Scott Wooten that hasn't had game time yet, but we, we preempted it a little bit that this may happen. And I think we're okay. We're in a decent place. And it's now up to people to, to step up and prove they can replace Sam, which I firmly believe they can. Um, and if not, we'll, we'll look again at the loan window in, in January. <laughs> So I'm going to hand it over to Joel now, and uh, Joel will, will come out with his probing nerdy questions, hopefully. <laughs> Go on then. Uh, yeah, I think we, we touched upon the 3-5-2 earlier. So I, I, I've, I've seen a couple of fans debate this, and without wanting you to try, obviously I, I know that you, don't, you can't reveal too much tactically-wise, but is, is it something you kind of might consider starting with, or do you like having it as a bit of an ace up the sleeve? To, to be honest, for the first season and a half at Motherwell, we played 3-5-2. Um, we were a little bit more direct because I'm a manager who believes in playing. I have a certain ideology. I want to play. I want to pass the ball. I want to play three thirds. I want to play with wide players. But sometimes at clubs like ourselves, you, you can't play the ideal way because you haven't got the players. So at Motherwell, I played three five two because we had two huge centre forwards um, and we got the two cup finals. So it must have been successful. Um, but it wasn't my preferred way of playing, if I'm being honest. I think it, it's a little bit more predictable. But we haven't got two centre-forwards at this moment in time to play it. So there lies our problem. We've got Courtney, who's finding his feet. Um, that's getting fit. Um, Cole being our only real available centre-forward at the moment until Courtney gets 100% fit. If, when Jonah Young is fit as well, and Courtney and Cole, it's certainly an option. I mean, I wouldn't like to play against any combination of, of them two up front. They're big, strong boys. They're both very good technically receiving the ball in defeat as well and piercing behind. And we've got mid when you play 3 5 2, you need midfielders that run beyond the ball. You need wing backs that are creative, otherwise, it becomes straight line football and too predictable. But I believe we've got the options with that, you know, in, in Greg and Ryan and with our, our creativity in midfield. And I think they'll, I want more from my midfielders, I want more goals, I want more shots. You know, and I, I want more contribution from them in terms of forward areas. So, yeah, it's something we, we will look at. My preferred way of playing is 4-3-3 with two strikers and one wide player, if the truth be told. So you've got a physical element to it as well. And it's not too one-dimensional. You can go a little bit longer when teams lock onto you and press you. And that's probably the biggest thing we need to learn is 
teams now know we can play. They know we're a good football inside. So if I was playing against us, I'd say let the first pass happen and then go and press them high up the pitch. And our recognition of missing that press into Cole's feet or over the top for a Jonah or a Courtney to run or a Arthur or Wes to run, then that's our, our next stage of our development as a squad and a, and a playing style. But certainly we won't be one-dimensional. I'll play to the strengths of the players. I'll play to who is who's playing well. So you can't play two wingers if they're all not playing well. And, and you adjust accordingly. So I'm very confident in my coaching ability. Um, I'm very confident in the staff I've got. So I, it always challenges us. Um, example, John McMahon said to me yesterday, we were doing a, a forward pattern session, which involved the 22 players. And he said, it's a shame you couldn't do a defensive element to it, first of all, and then transition into a forward thing. So I thought, right, that's a challenge. So within about 30 seconds, I went, right, we're doing that session. Um, we added another bit to it. So always like to challenge ourselves we're always looking how we make it better as a group as individuals and you know it's it's something ongoing there's nothing sitting still so obviously on that kind of theme of kind of things being ongoing obviously I remember you mentioned in the Q&A about uh you'd initially thought that you were going to be having a bit of a higher press and the more intense press and then as players came in you looked kind of pre-season you thought that would maybe well, drop up uh, pull back on that a little bit but so over the past five games has there been any kind of any, any more developments that have kind of maybe altered you thinking about how to uh, take the side forward and what kind of things do you think you might be working on over the next kind of couple of weeks that you've got on the training pitch? Yeah, I mean, we've got certain triggers when we press. No matter where we are on the pitch, we set three different presses up, which I won't tell you. But <laughs> there are three triggers that are very simplistic. Um, and you can do that on the edge of the opposition's 18-yard box where your risk versus reward is huge, which we have done in certain games. So as the the, the games have progressed and people like Cole and Arthur and Wes and Josh have got a little bit fitter and the understanding has been better. We have at times. And in fact, I think we are the, the third best pressers in the league with an end product at the end of it. So we're pressing very well. Saturday being the example of pressing poorly, we were pressing the, the gaps between the lines were way too big. So we dropped at the D of the halfway line and we set up the same triggers, but more condensed and, and that worked very, very well for us as well. So again, depending on who it is you play, we, we don't go willy-nilly. We, we know who we're playing. We thought Sheffield Wednesday, we may have a risk versus reward press them higher up the pitch. And it didn't work. It, you know, sometimes you've got to hold your hands up and recognise that during a game and say, right, that didn't work. Don't be too proud to keep doing the, the same thing over again. That isn't working. And we changed it. And we changed it at half time to drop, condense the space and play on the counter-attack. And I think we've got both strings. You know, we've got pace to break. We've got... Uh, you know, a platform and cold to play from when we do break and, and get runners beyond it. So our understanding in terms of not overplaying, you know, we play through midfield, but it has to be an end product or wide players especially. There has to be runs forward beyond the ball. There has to be deliveries into the box. And there has to be more shots on target. So that's things attacking-wise we look at and they're things we'll work on continually and have done this week. And, you know, that'll be ongoing. You'll never have the finished article because when that is correct, something else will be wrong. So it's, I've got a little bit of OCD, so I'm always looking for the perfect, perfect scenario. And that's the only way you can be, because when you think you've made it in football, and when you think you've got a really good team and squad, football bites you in the bum very, very quickly. And, you know, that, that won't happen to us. Interesting, you mentioned about that, the, uh, the third highest in the division for chance ending, because I think I, I think I saw some numbers that said that as well. It's like the third highest for shot or chance ending uh, huh. from pressure. So that's a really good kind of little figure that we've got going on so you're both nerds that's good <laughs> yeah no way we've gone off the deep end haven't we one of the last thing i actually kind of wanted to ask is uh 
obviously we talked about Sam Lavelle a bit, but the season we started with uh, with Delaney at centre back, and obviously not wanting to go too much into it, but like he's obviously left footed Delaney playing left centre back. So is that is that part of maybe your reasoning for having having him there? Because I know that people, some people like to have that kind of extra passing angles and kind of build up play, uh, you know, that extra kind of kind of string to your bone, that person who can open up the bo- their body and play it that way. Is that something that you kind of factor in when picking somebody like Delaney? Yeah, I mean, I started Ran and Ant in the first game of the season, so it tells you how highly I think of Ran. Um, he it gives us that natural left foot. So if I was pressing all side, press onto the, the player that's playing on the wrong side, you know, because it's going on to his, his unnatural weaker foot left side. So for example, on Saturday, if I was Sheffield Wednesday, I'd have pressed Ando O'Connor because he was playing on the left-hand side. Well, when it goes to Ran, you've got more passing angles naturally. You've got a reverse pass into your eight. You've got your, you know, your opposites and you've got diagonal balls, which is much more difficult when you're right-footed playing on that side. And again, we, we, you know, sometimes it's not ideal world, but with Ryan there and fit, and, and you know, we got a massive bonus that he wasn't out long term, is is a big plus for us. Plus, he's six foot four, um, and very good in the air. And I think when he came on, you seen a really, really good quality along with with Gibbo, who came on as well and showed how much strength we have on depth. So yeah, it's certainly something I believe will help us going forward when we do play out, as you say. If I was playing against this, I always look um, and think wars are negatives and where would I press us and you know, how can I hurt us? So as a manager, you have to look at that as well. And that would be one of the areas we ever played on our, our left-hand side and was right-footed. You'd let them have the ball and press from there. You know, So it's something that I think will improve us, certainly, if Ryan is in the team and starting. And just one last one I wanted to ask. Uh, with recruitment, do, do kind of – because I've looked at the players that we've recruited – and I think in some certain positions, there's, there's a pattern. And I, I, like I look at people like McDonald and McPake, apart from the fact that the name starts with Muck. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I look at them and they had like good dribbling figures in League Two last year. So I felt there was continuity then. And you look at people like a younger and uh, Courtney Duffers coming in. And they're, they're, they're kind of similar models of players. They're, they're quick, they're, they take the ball well, but they're, they're big guys and they're, and they're good at dribbling. So kind of on that, do, do you kind of, it, is that kind of, through data and stats or is that more through watching people or is it a bit of both? I think it's a, a combination of both to be honest with you. I'm, I mean, wait, listen, Brentford have got the perfect model. They have the Moneyball model but that costs millions and millions of pounds and we don't have that. What I have is a lot of contacts and a lot of good people in football but we do use, I mean, we've, we use the data analysis as best we possibly can. You know, the XG and the predicted goals. Um, there's a certain type of player I like in each position um, so obviously, after data only, data is a filtering process. So data m- makes you aware, possibly, of players that we, we we've all got this thing where we watch something and, and we see what we want to see at times, myself included. Um, I, I think it's called confirmation theory. So if you watch something, you can be classed as a long ball team and actually pass the ball 90% of the time. But if you set out believing you're a long ball team and the first time they go long, you go, ah, he's, he's played it long, you know? So it's confirmation theory. So what you have to do is get the stats, get you know statistics that are real. There's no emotions involved in it. And that sometimes you go, oh, well, maybe Jonah Yunga has a better end product. Like, you know, Jonah had stats and statistics in terms of getting shots away were fantastic, but his goal record didn't match that. So you have to look and go, well, can we improve that? Because if he's getting shots away, we can improve that. We can make him better at that. So that's an example where we use the stats. 
then you have to go into the human eye. You know, that starts makes you aware of Jonah. Um, I had a lot of good people that would make you aware of it when they're available. You have to go and watch the game. You know, are they wearing gloves in the middle of the summer? Are they humping about because they're not starting? They get taken off, so they throw their toys out of the pram. What's their personality like? What's their family background like? Have they got stability in their life? You know, all these things. And the easy way to do it is, and I'm not on it, I have to tell you, in any shape or form, but social media, players put their footprint and every walk of life onto it. So we have a lot of people research it. So probably call that data as well, but there's an initial data to find players if we're not already aware of them. And sometimes you just get little gems. So I'm actually signing a player currently made an offer to at this moment in time. And, you know, we've seen a lot of footage of them, but a lot of the data backs up what we think we've seen. So you can use them in tandem. Uh, I find it very, very interesting. Um, sometimes the stats don't match up to what we've seen with the naked eye. So you need to go again and watch it with an open mind. So um, I don't think there's any one way that's right to recruit. I think it has to be a combination. Um, ultimately, I try and recruit pace is, is a, a factor. You can't make people quicker. You can make people positionally better. But if you give me somebody who's very, very quick, I can make them positionally better. But I can't make them any quicker. You know, if they're six foot three, that's a decent start. If they're five foot three, I can't make them six foot three. You know, so there's certain things you can control um, and make their understanding better. So yeah, there's my ideal way of playing. I like two forward players with, you know, a centre forward, a number nine, a one that's maybe a little bit bigger and you've got an outlet to run in behind and a dribbler, as you say. So Josh and Wes being them dribblers. When you play with both of them, sometimes the goals and the, the patterns have to be absolutely perfect. And, the game isn't perfect all the time. Man City's game is perfect. Barcelona's game is perfect. You know, it's the ultimate goal and it's, the, you know, working all the time on, on 100%, everything working. That doesn't happen at this level too often. So you have to mix it up. And, you know, if, if I can get that combination of one bigger, one out wide with pace that understands the role, coming in at the back post, playing a little bit narrower with our fullbacks overlapping and, and a wide player who gives us the width and the, the combinations where, you know, putting crosses in and adding goals to that then, that's my ideal way of playing. And we do, we use a combination of statistics, our naked eye, our knowledge of players. And, and everyone has a say in it, you know, and, and we joked about, you know, people like Dermot and I've mentioned Harry and our analyst and John and, you know, people I know in the game that we, we use constantly for feedback. People I might not be aware of because I'm immersed in, in, in Morecambe and we're preparing for games. But, you know, I got a phone call about Jonah and knew that he was available about 30 seconds before he knew. So it was, and I wouldn't have got him otherwise, you know, so you have to use those contacts and it's, you know, we're going to put a head of recruitment in place here. And for me, it's absolutely vital. I think, I don't know how many players I've signed. I think it's 17, Charlie, is it? Um, all together. But at least, at least. At least, yeah. <laughs> all well within budget as well, I may add. So, you know, the thing is, you can't do that every season. And, and to have longevity at this level, you need to be at, at least one transfer window, if not two transfer windows ahead of yourself. And to do that as a manager on your own while you're trying to prepare teams and games, it is very, very difficult because you miss players. You miss phone calls. You, you know, you can only stay up so many hours in the day. So it's vital and the board have been great. You know, everyone is thinking the same way. We've got a plan what we want to do. Um, we're, I think we've, we're probably ahead of where we, we thought we would be, if the truth be told, but we're, we're building those blocks. And I think it's a case of continuing to do that and continuing to move forward. Yeah, if you think about the think about the five game block theory, which I which I actually love. You know, it's it's a case of are, are we a club where we can get from five to six, to seven to eight? You know, building the points up. 
they've, they've done such a great job on the coaching and the, you know, the three-five-two thing. You know, with Gibson, you know, it's such a good team. You'd hate, I'm sure every every team individual would hate to play that. Hate to play us. We'll take points off people. The crowds are obviously going to make the odd difference to get up to get an extra point, perhaps. You know, and everyone working together, and pulling in the same direction, and the head of the head of recruitment. And it's, it's all it's all based around trying to these marginal games to try and get the points up. And if if, if we can get to fifteen points every five games, we'll be doing well. Yeah, certainly. I, I, that 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 keeps you up. You know, that kind of figure keeps you up. You know, and there's a bonus game at the end of that as well. So, and there's going to be periods where. You know, we lose two in a row, three in a row. There's, there's going to be periods, and I think I've always used that in the past at Motherwell, similar size club where you're playing against absolute giants in football, and you're, you're nine times out of ten going to lose, but you've got to be realistic and go, look, it's just a dent. It's a bad week, not a bad year or a bad season. Um, and so far, I mean, there's going to be times where the fans aren't happy. Of course, that's human nature, and it's an emotional game. But, I mean, how they backed us when we were 2-0 down against Preston, I don't think people realise how much that means that a young squad, even people like, you know, big tombs or human, you know, you, you have emotions, you play with fear when you make mistakes. And the more people get in your back, I mean, you guys have all got other jobs outside of this. And, you know, if somebody is criticising you constantly for 90 minutes during the day, you know, you, it hurts and you stop doing your job properly. You lose a little bit of belief, even if it's short term on the, on the football pitch. So it's massive. I, I don't think fans realise how much it means the players to have the support and the backing and you make one mistake and they're still behind you. And I always say to our players, you'll get a better reaction from winning the ball back than scoring a goal or maybe perhaps not maybe scoring a goal, but our boys worry about a mistake. And I said, but if you make a mistake and win the ball back straight away and you go and press and you show that you're running for the badge and people have worked hard to come and watch you and see the same intensity and the same desire for their club, you know, then they'll forgive a lot of things. I'll find that out very quickly in football. I have to say, from a fan's perspective, I, I, I've been really, really happy with the way the crowds have been. Apart from anything else, the crowds have been fantastic, Charlie and, and Joel. You know that. They've been brilliant. But uh, as you said, Steve, when we were 2-0 down against Preston, nobody turned, nobody moaned. But that's possibly because, and I might say, being a long-term fan, uh, there was... A, there was probably about 10 minutes against Rotherham and also about 20 minutes against Shrewsbury when I've, I've never seen a Morecambe side ever keep the ball and use it as uh, effectively as they did and uh, from our, we, we, actually I was standing with long term fans who were like myself late 50s who had been watching a long long time and the, the phrase that came out was this is different gravy completely different gravy because the side that you've built is exciting to watch and you know that they move it so quickly and the movement is so good with Greg and Ryan overlapping and what have you. And that's why I'll tell you now, that's why the crowds haven't turned because we've never seen, we've never seen that football before, have we, Joel? No, not really. I mean, even when we were successful last season, it was a, it was a different style of football. It was very, very yeah. effective as we all know. That's why we're here now. But yeah, it's, it, I mean, I always kind of think of it in football. It's almost like you ha- kind of have a bit of a sliding scale between when you're playing nice football, fans will always forgive you a little bit more. But if you're playing slightly more direct football, it's okay, it's absolutely fine while you're winning and everybody's backing you. At the same time, if start, results start going a bit south, then fans will turn a bit quicker. So like, take somebody like Sam Allardyce at Everton, the fans turn quickly on him then because yeah. they don't like the style of football. 
It's a hundred percent. I mean, I, I think that seems thing. Although, well, we we played a little bit more direct to start with because that was our personnel and that was great because we got the cup finals. We done very well, but as soon as it started going the other way, crowds do turn quicker, and I think the expectancy and the uh, as you become more and more successful, the expectancy grows. So people then. The, you know, when you, we finished third. So we were expected to start the season and finish third and compete with Rangers and Celtic. And there was no realism in that. You know, we couldn't sustain that level of performance because we sold, you know, players every single season. And, you, you know, you're not yeah. building them what you have. And I think there's a realism here with the board. There's a realism with the fans. And, you know, a real, you know, Charlie's touched on it. We're outside the football club. You know, we had no training ground. The first three weeks, me and Dermot literally lived in our cave of the office, drove to training grounds all around the, the area. And we've now got a fantastic partnership with, with you know, Lancaster University. And we're trying to build that. The pitches need to get better. We're trying to make it a League One setup, And that doesn't come easy and it doesn't come free. You know, the board have to back that, which they've done. And we have to continue to invest into that. And, you know, the club shop, I go past it now and you know, it's really busy. People are queuing for tickets. And the place in the town, it's a real feel-good. There is a real good atmosphere about the place. And long may that continue. And as I say, there will be times where we're not winning games. And that's when you see true supporters. That's when you see people that really back the football club, which you know I firmly believe we have here. Just finally, well, think- I'd just like to say from, from our, persp- our perspective that, you know, picture behind me there at Wembley, which they will never forget. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll always be forever grateful to Derek and all the players helping us get there but I, I, I really do believe that with Stephen and Dermot and the guys it's the perfect perfect fit for us for us and for them and for the fans to to work towards our, our plan of plans for the future I think we've, we've, we're had a great start but uh, just keep the faith keep the faith when, it, when it's not going as well and, and enjoy it when it is I actually yeah. think we should have won every game, so I'm not sure how great it was I actually genuinely believe we should have won every game there wasn't one game where I thought Actually, yeah, the Sheffield Wednesday game, I thought we shouldn't have won, if I'm being honest. I actually thought we shouldn't have won that one. But every other game, I thought, with a better side, at least a point against Rotherham. Um, we should have beat Ipswich. We should have beat Gillingham. Um, so yeah. I still won. I have to aim there, and, and that's what I'll not let any standards slip, because if you aim there, you might just land there. If you aim there, you'll end up lower. So that's how we drive the football club. And I, 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 say, I think I see him on and off the football pitch. Ben has been appointed as general manager and I think he's been an absolute breath of fresh air he's, he's pushing the club and you know, we've got a new groundsman in the pitch is better than it's ever been before and we now just need to keep building on that and, and those things need to be in place they're the right things that doesn't change if you lose a couple of games they're the right way to build a football club and you know we haven't got 10 million pounds we can't go bang and there's a new training ground and we're going to put six ground staff in we haven't got Blackburn's facilities but if we all pull together and keep trying to build the football club in the right direction, then there's, I believe there's good things ahead. I, I keep buying the Euro Millions tickets, but it's not come in yet, Stephen. So do I. So do I. I might be able to afford a house in Morecambe if I keep ever win it. <laughs> so, listen, that's a great place to finish. Thank you very much. Uh, first of all, to Charlie and his exploding head. Uh, for those who are watching on YouTube, <laughs> uh, for Joel, as per usual, uh, with his searching questions, uh, we you two could have gone all night with your, your, your sort of nerdy questions there, which loads of people will appreciate that. I, I, it, it's really interesting from that point of view because obviously I don't go just in depth, I know I like watching the way we play, so that's just me, I'm, I'm easy to please. 
And uh, thank you to Stephen for joining us. I, you were every bit as good as Dermot. The only thing you didn't do was get up and walk around with your laptop and go outside the club. So uh, <laughs> he's got Wi-Fi in his house now. He's got. Oh, <laughs> oh, he's excellent. Dermot's been a massive part in our our start. You know, he's been. I have to say, he's been terrific. I'm not sure we could because I was literally stuck in an office signing players, um, 24 hours a day, and Dermot was arranging pre-season. He was arranging, you know all the stuff that people don't see and he's been a massive massive help in everything we've done so you know he certainly deserves a special mention yeah yeah he does but uh long may it continue we're looking forward to the next five games we'll see what happened uh joel as i said i always finish on the shrimps trust uh if you haven't joined and you're enjoying this then do join the shrimps trust uh it's 10 pounds for the year we know it makes a difference because the shrimps trust contributed towards the new red seats in the stand joel didn't they Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm, obviously we've got the, uh, the raised the roofs kind of stuff and all that's going on at the moment. So hopefully that'll be, uh, be up soon. It'll be good, even better experience for the fans. So thank you everybody for your contributions tonight. Stephen, I hope you'll join us again. Um, I hope we haven't been uh, too searching, uh, uh, but it's been fantastic to have you on. This has been episode 10 of Shrimp Net. <laughs>